Chapter Twenty Five of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five Melville Bay. On the nineteenth of June, the boats were launched into the sea, now calm, the Faith leading under Kane and the Eric under Bonsall, and the Hope under Brooks following. The seabirds screamed a welcome to the squadron and flew about them as if to inquire why they came back in three vessels instead of one, as when they sailed northward two years before. But there was no leisure for converse with birds. They had just passed Hakluyt Island when the Eric sunk. Her crew, Bonsall, Riley, and Godfrey, struggled to the other boats, and the Faith took the sunken craft in tow. Soon after, Brooks shouted that the Hope was leaking badly, and threatening to sink. Fortunately, the flow was not far off, and into one of its creek-like openings they ran the boats, fastened them to the ice, and the weary men laid down in their bunks, without drawing the boats from the water, and slept. The next day they drew their leaking crafts ashore, and caulked them for another sea adventure. For several days they struggled with varying fortunes, until they brought up, weary, disheartened, and worn down by work, and an insufficient diet of bread-dust, and fastened to an old floe near the land. Scarcely were they anchored when a vast ice-raft caught upon a tongue of the solid floe, about a mile to the seaward of them, and began to swing round upon it as a pivot, and to close in upon our explorers. This was a new game of the ice-enemy. Nearer and nearer came the revolving icy platform, seeming to gather force with every whirl. At first, the commotion that was made started the flow, to which they were fastened, on a run towards the shore, as if to escape the danger. But it soon brought up against the rocks and was overtaken by its pursuer. In an instant the collision came. The men sprang, by force of discipline, to the boats and the stores, to bear them back to a place of safety. But wild and far-spread ruin was around them. The whole platform where they stood crumbled and crushed under the pressure, and was tossed about and piled up, as if the ice demon was in a frenzy of passion. Escape for the boats seemed for the moment impossible, and none expected it, and none could tell when they were let down into the water, nor hardly how. Yet they found themselves whirling in the midst of the broken hummocks, now raised up and then shaken, as if every joint in the helpless, trembling boats was to be dislocated. The noise would have drowned their uproar of contending armies, as ice was hurled against ice, and as it felt the awful pressure, it groaned harsh and terrific thunder. The men, though utterly powerless, grasped their boat-hooks as the boats were borne away in the tumultuous mass of broken ice, and hurried on towards the shore. Slowly, the tumult began to subside, and the fragments to clear away, until the almost bewildered men found themselves in a stretch of water making into the land, wide enough to enable them to row. They came against the wall of the ice-foot, and grappling it, waited for the rising tide to lift them to its top. While here, the storm was fearful, banking the boats against the ice-wall, and surging the waves into them thus keeping the imperiled men at work for dear life, in bailing out the water. 
they were at last lifted by the tide to the ice foot upon which they pulled their boats all uniting on each boat they had landed on the cliff at the mouth of a gorge in the rock into this they dragged the boats keeping them square on their keels a sudden turn in the cave placed a wall between them and the storm which was now raging furiously while they were drawing in the last boat a flock of eider ducks gladdened their hearts as they flew swiftly past god had not only guided them to a sheltered haven but had assured them of abundant food on the morrow they were in the breeding home of the sea-fowl thus comforted they lay down to sleep though wet and hungry they named their providential harbour the weary man's rest and remained in it three days eating until hunger was appeased and gathering eggs at the rate of twelve hundred a day and laughing at the storms which roared without on the fourth of july after as much of a patriotic celebration as their circumstances allowed they again launched into the sea for some days they moved slowly south but it was only by picking their way through the leads for they found the sea nearly closed as they approached cape dudley ditches their way was entirely closed they pushed into an opening that led to the bottom of its precipitous cliff here they found a rocky shelf overshadowed by the towering rocks just large enough and in the right position at high tide to make a platform on which they could land their boats here they waited a whole week for the ice toward cape york to give away the sea-fowl were abundant and of a choice kind the scurvy killing cochlearia was at hand which they ate with their eggs it was indeed a providential halt for the fact was constantly forced upon them that they had come here as they had to weary man's rest by no skill or knowledge of their own it was the eighteenth of july before the condition of the ice was such as to make the renewal of their voyage possible two hundred and fifty choice fowl had been skinned cut open and dried on the rocks besides a store of those thrown aboard as they were caught they now sailed along the coast passing the crimson cliffs of sir john ross the birds were abundant their halting places on the shore were closed with green and the fresh-water streams at which they filled their vessels were pouring down from the glaciers they built great blazing fires of dry turf which cost nothing but the gathering after a day's hard rowing the sportsmen brought in fresh fowl and gathered about their campfire all ate and then stretched themselves on the moss carpet and slept they enjoyed thankfully this arctic eden all the more as they all knew that perils and privations were just before them they wisely provided during these favoured days a large stock of provisions amounting to six hundred and forty pounds besides their dried birds turf fuel too was taken on board for the fires they reached cape york on the twenty first of july from this place they were to try the dangers of melville bay across which in their frail boats must they sail it had smiled upon their northward voyage would it favour their escape now it certainly did not hold out to them flattering promises the inshore ice was solid yet and terribly hummocky 
The open sea was far to the west, but along the margin of the flow were leads, and fortunately there was one beginning where they had halted. The boats were hauled up, examined, and as much as possible repaired. The Red Eric was stripped, her cargo taken out, and her hull held in reserve for fuel. A beacon was erected from which a red flannel skirt was thrown as a pennant to the wind to attract attention. Under this beacon, records were left, which told in brief the story of the expedition. This done, and the blessing of God implored, the voyagers entered the narrow opening in the ice. For a while all went well, but one evening Dr. Kane was hastily called on deck. The huge icebergs had bewildered the helmsman in the leading boat, and he had missed the channel, and had turned directly towards the shore, until the boat was stopped by the solid flow. The lead through which they had come had closed in the rear, and they were completely entangled in the ice. Without telling the men what had happened, the commander, under the pretense of drying the clothes, ordered the boats drawn up, and a camp was made on the ice. In the morning, Kane and McGarry climbed a berg some three hundred feet high. They were appalled by their situation. The water was far away, and huge bergs and ugly hummocks intervened. Emgari, and old whalemen, familiar from early manhood with the hardships of Arctic voyaging, wept at the sight. There was but one way out of this entanglement. The sledges must be taken from the sides of the boats, where they had been hung for such emergencies, the boats placed on them, and the old drag-rope practice must be tried, until the expedition reached the edge of the floe. One sledge, that which bore the Red Eric, had been used for fuel, so the Red Eric itself was knocked to pieces and stowed away for the same use. About three days were consumed in thus toiling before they reached the lead which they had left launched once more into waters, and sailed away before a fine breeze. Thus far the boats had kept along the outer edge of the floe, following the openings through the ice, but as this was slow work, though much safer, they now ventured a while in the open sea farther west, but they were driven back to the floe by heavy fogs, and on trying to get the boats into a lead, one of those incidents occurred so often noticed, in which God's hand was clearly seen. All hands were drawing up the hope, and she had just reached a resting place on the floe, when the Faith, their best boat, with all their stores on board, went adrift. The sight produced an almost panic sensation among the men. The hope could not possibly be launched in time to overtake her, for she was drifting rapidly, but before they could collect their thoughts to devise the means of her rescue, a cake of ice swung round, touched the floe where they stood, reaching at the same time nearly to the faith, thus bridging over the chasm. Instantly Kane and Mgari sprang upon it, and from it into the escaping boat. She was saved. End of chapter 25